Welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago, and joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. Fashion emergency update. Ballet flats poised to become the summer shoe of wow. 2020. Wow. Hey, we called it on espadrilles, so, you know, I think you can count on us for, you know, ballet flats are going to, they might even be shoe of the year. I don't yeah. want to. I don't want to speculate. Yeah. But this is where we're going. Yeah. Might sweep the shoesies. Also joining us, the director of Missionary Productions, Jed Brewer. I also enjoy footwear. With us all the way from Oak Ridge, Tennessee, one of the pastors of Christ Community Church, the younger. <laughs> I don't know where all of my shoes are. Fair point. No, that's it's good to have a shoe closet. Well, uh, we're back with you here. I say back. We come here every week, but um, we, I'm just going to get right to it. We're talking you know, about things that are comfortable. Sure. Things that are we're used to, things that we're, we're we're comfortable with, that are part of our makeup as a as a group of friends, as a show. Yeah. We're doing fashion emergency updates. You know, we're having fun. But then there's change. Yeah. Wow. There's newness in the world to say that. Okay. And there's a type of newness that I'm not particularly thrilled about most of all because it leaves me on an island. Oh. We we have already had the candy corn schism. Right. On that show. was brutal. <laughs> and one of the things that used to uh, draw us even. And balance. I think the show, in a lot of ways, is really about balance. Yeah. Uh, not each of the individual ho- individual hosts. We are all deeply unbalanced. Correct. Yeah. But it all kind of works out. Yeah. <laughs> um, and before on this show, you probably get the sense, dear listener, that you've been listening to a 50-50 coffee person podcast. That's right. Sure. Lee, Glenn, very much enjoy the bean juice. Yep. You it- squeeze a bean. And Glenn will just suck the juice right out of it. Uh, that That's I right. I would chew on a coffee bean. Mm. There's no doubt. Oh, specifically coffee beans. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't know it was a special kind of bean. Maybe that's why I have done coffee. <laughs> I thought it was just like the baked beans and ran them through. But okay, I've learned a lot. I've learned uh, a lot yeah. this other day. I hope yeah, you yeah. have too, dear listener. Uh, and Jen and I very much on the, you know, I'll take a, have a nice diet Dr. Pepper at 8 o'clock in the morning. Yeah, like a right. complete cretin. Yeah, right. And then Jed went on a little trip. Yeah. Uh, where he had to get up a little early. Yeah. And now Jed's all coffee guy. Yeah. Yeah. Jed has joined the coffee tribe. Yeah. And of course, That's right. that means he's been spending some time in the coffee shops. Mm, yeah. yeah. I was journaling about that recently. It's... <laughs> oh, no. T- yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I fear we've we've summoned the specter of coffee shop Jed. Guys, would you come in and, and just sit down and just sit a spell, you know? Take a Where load off. Where did that and... scarf come from? Yeah, let me Wait take off my outdoor scarf and put on my indoor <laughs> scarf. It reminds me of a Terry Gross episode I was recently listening to recently. <laughs> did Jed just get a new forearm band tattoo? Yeah, yeah. You know, I like getting inked. I really do. Do. Okay. And that reminds me of another NPR podcast I was listening to recently. But first, <laughs> oh. anyone for fresh scones? Can I? Can I get anybody a scone? Uh, I'm I'm good. I'm good on scones. I only okay. eat scones. Okay. These. So I have a few options for you. I have some ar- orange marmalade. Okay. Now we have regular butter. I also have a non dairy butter. So okay. we've got some good options. Okay. Uh, and mm, that is just a rich flavor. That is just <laughs> delicious. Yeah. Uh, it, it, this is uh, for most people when they drink coffee, Jed, they just become more 
energized mm. and have more, uh, you know, just uh, vitality. Because I would say every time I've been in a coffee shop, a Starbucks, a Panera Bread, a Caribou, whatever, those people do not look energized. Well, it's a good point. That's because they have drank so much coffee, it no longer has any form of impact. Oh, because they're all just kind of staring into the middle distance, yeah. shuffling back and forth to the counter. Yeah. My my question is, is Coffee Shop Jed, are you like, are you now full like zero waste, zero sugar kind of a guy now too? Oh, I'm I'm sorry. My my ear pods weren't set to listen mode. I'm I'm oh, sorry. Wow. Gosh, I was doing well, one of my meditation sessions for the day. I mean, I, I don't want to limit it to to just one. I, you know, right. Wellness is importantly. Wellness is you know yeah. as much. Wellness is the essence of health. It really oh, okay. is. It really is. You know, I don't know if you know, but one of the great things about cafe is it's rich in antioxidants. I'm sorry, what was that now? Which are <laughs> really great for you. They they really I just slid past. They really are. Mm. Uh, there's there's been quite a transformation that's mm. taken place here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if the 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 Boulder hat is uh, uh, Boulder hat is uh, <laughs> ironic or not. I'm not either, and I've I've decided to lean into that. Okay, yeah, yeah. this is yeah. Um, uh, ha- how many uh, mega churches have recruited you? Because I think you are the yeah. essence of what they're looking for. I think, and I hope I'm getting the term right here. I think I'm a mega church bishop at this point. Mm. I think I'm overseeing ten or twelve of them. Are you are you oh. overseeing ten or twelve uh, churches or campuses, which is uh, the term I understand they use? Well, I'm definitely you prefer over- to call them encounter spaces. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course, dear encounter spaces, absolutely gathering lodging. Yes. yes. <laughs> Uh, I lose track, uh, but I do have this Make Him Famous mug. Oh, I see. And that's my outreach program. Oh, I see. Uh, the mug is? Yes. So people read the mug. Yes. And like, they, I like famous people. What do you they, got? They make him famous. That's right. Uh, so they, so the end- sorry, sorry. Can I, can I pause you for a second? Th- sure. This is my favorite Nora Jones song that just came on. Okay, this is so good. Just I just need a moment. Just <laughs> mm. and that is that is good. That is so, that is good. Do you find do you find that the turtleneck is inviting for those outreach conversations? Yeah, well, it's very warm. Um, right. Really, almost too warm. Almost You're I mean, sweating quite a bit, Jed. Is <laughs> my favorite sweating. He's sweating so much that his mustache is now actually dripping sweat into the coffee. <laughs> yeah. It's Nora Jones covering Peter Gabriel, covering Neutral Milk Hotel. It's just silence <laughs> okay. for three minutes. Okay. <laughs> That's really good. To be honest, between the very heavy black turtleneck um, and the several cups of steaming hot coffee that I've had, I am... I am uncomfortably warm. <laughs> well, I don't know if your resting, uh, resting heart rate's ever going to come back uh, down. Okay, well, let's... Uh, you know what would help is some cold-brewed iced coffee. Well, I, I think maybe you've had... Would enough. help the temperature situation. It may hurt several other things. Yeah. Now, Jed, yeah. I can't help but notice that you have a stack of eight books in front of you. Right. Which is weird, because most people don't read eight books at once. <laughs> right. But... And you also have a big cardboard sign that says, please ask me about these books. Right. So at the risk of falling into some kind of trap, 
what what are you reading? Well, you know, that's a good question. Is there a reason why three of them are infinite jest? <laughs> Here's what I find with the coffee is I'm able to read a lot more quickly, but I also don't know what I have read. I, so I I've Your read... Your fingers are also just cut to shreds. <laughs> well, I, I noticed that... Just one flying of, through the pages. One of these books is Tibetan poetry in, in Tibetan. So yeah. I, I, I don't know that you read... Tibetan. So. Well, I've I have read it, but uh, I definitely did not internalize it. Okay, you just yeah. sort of sounded it out. Yeah, and got to get a feel for the 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 rhythms of it. Well, I did Instagram it, so there's right. that. Of course, of I've course. put a lot of photos on my Instagram lately. Right, now, I mean a lot. When when you aren't Instagramming things, are you sure they still exist? No, like a basic object permanence situation. Yeah, no, <laughs> no. Pretty much at this point, my life has been reduced to this little table where I Instagram things and running back to the bathroom from all of the coffee. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well. But, but you know, it's great. Okay. Would you say that's an important part of your wellness initiative? <laughs> <laughs> I think the great thing really is that we're all here together. That's, it, it, <laughs> I, I, we, you know, some of us were really rooting for Jed to join the, yeah. the brotherhood and sisterhood of coffee drinkers. Yeah. But I'm, I'm beginning to rethink that now. You know, yeah. this is such a great flavor. You know, there's almost like hints of blueberry in here okay. it's really it's really remarkable and really delicious when you say in here i notice you're not drinking coffee at the moment do you are you just <laughs> tasting blueberry <laughs> is it just with you now <laughs> it's like smelling toast he lol'd coffee are, shop jed are you is, are you having a stroke <laughs> now from all the caffeine <laughs> Is that a possibility? <laughs> well, my left hand is trembling. Yes. But so. I'd like to think it's trembling with appreciation for how delicious all this coffee has it's, been. Right. It's hard for it's hard for coffee shop Jed to keep his monocle in with the eye twitch. <laughs> but he puts in the effort nonetheless. And just by the numbers. Someone is listening to this in a Starbucks. Yes. Yeah. And you're welcome for the last 12 minutes of really psychedelic judgment <laughs> as you listen to us and peered out at other people in the Starbucks. Yeah. So with that, we will declare emergency off. So yeah, that took, that took some turns. Yeah. I, I think we really explored the space. Yeah. You know, there, it's always a cause celebration to add a new Jed to the can. Sure. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, of course, if you want uh, some solid original recipe, Jed, to, you can always check out Bridgebox, where every month coming in your inbox, you'll get songs from a lot of talented friends. You'll get sermons from Glenn and myself, missionusa.com slash Bridgebox, if you want to check that out. All right, we're going to jump to our questions here. If you want some ways to get in touch with this, you can have this all the way to the end, or you can scroll down into your episode description and click the links there first question comes in anonymously and it says do i need to care about demons i grew up seeing a few exorcisms but one turned out to be faked to manipulate us and one i would now call a panic attack so i'm not really sure about those anymore i was taught that if you don't invite anything in you don't have to worry you guys describe the devil more as discreetly nudging and these more dramatic events don't seem to quite align with that personally i don't give it much thought since god can kick the devils behind anyway but what's really the deal? And a really cool question. We 
Uh, again, we always love it when folks uh, want to dig deeper, want to hear something like we've talked about before and get more into that. And Lee, where would we kick it off with the demons? Yeah, I love the way that this question is framed. I, I just kind of love the 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 uh, the timbre of it, the tone of it. Um, you know, you seem to be dealing pretty well with some with having faced some funky stuff in the growing up years and stuff <laughs> stuff that I wasn't faced with for sure. And and you're also kind of balancing it with just the good truth of the just the Lord's power over the spiritual realm, which is. I, again, I, I just love the the tone that you're coming at this with. Obviously, obviously, the scripture does talk about a lot of like pretty dramatic uh, scenarios with you know unclean spirits and demons and the whole the whole deal. And I definitely don't want to like uh, paint with a broad brush and say like this is what's possible and this is what's not po- what's not possible, just because I don't know. But I would say that that you're right on the money when you talk about the fact that that the whole thing tends to get pretty tame and calm down and manageable whenever Jesus shows up. Even in the scripture, in the most like really dramatic scenarios, when Jesus shows up and starts talking, when he starts uttering truth, the whole thing gets doused pretty quickly. Uh, it's always pretty much over at that point. And that's an important thing to remember, that whatever the, whatever the deal with, uh, with, you know, just you know, different spirits with the activity of the evil one and, and all that kind of stuff. When Jesus shows up and starts speaking truth, then things calm down real quick. That's important because for me, I think that when it comes to like, you know, dealing with spiritual, you know, spiritual warfare, or spiritual battle in, in my own life and in your life, I think that the thing that we need to really focus on is the idea of truth versus lies. And I want to take a few minutes and kind of talk about that. Um, when Jesus shows up and starts speaking truth, the whole thing, you know, calms down. So I think that's what we need to focus on. One of the most interesting questions to me when I'm talking to somebody, and, and obviously, like, it's it's a lot harder to see this stuff when it's my own life and lies I'm listening to. But when I'm talking to somebody and they are obviously dealing with a lie from the enemy, one of the biggest questions I have is, why do we why do we like buying into the lies so much? Okay. That's a really really interesting question. Yeah. Um you know the the what Jesus said about the enemy is that he is a liar and the father of lies. He said when he when he lies, he speaks his native tongue. Which when you're trying to learn another language, it is so difficult to take so much brain power to try to figure out the right, you know, conjugation of verbs and the right whatever whatever. Um, but when you go back to speaking your own language, you don't have to think at all. That's the way the devil spews lies. And the interesting thing for us is, why do we make that so easy? Why do I make it so easy? So let me give a couple examples of this. For one thing, um, like there are lies that the devil sends to us that we, I think we like to believe them, well, I don't know if like is the right word. I think we easily believe them because they seem holy, but they're not. And let's look at that for a second. Lies that the devil would send you that seem like they're holy, but they're totally, totally not. So for instance, any time that the devil would make you feel ashamed and guilty about any kind of backslide or falling off that you have, any kind of sin that's going on in your life. Now, the thing that he would want you to feel is, you have done it this time, don't you feel terrible? 
Holiness is right and sin is wrong. So you, by sinning, have become super duper wrong. You should feel terrible about yourself. I bet God is really disappointed. I'm sure he didn't see this coming. Don't you feel bad? That is a lie coming from the pit of hell, but it feels holy. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's not right, but it feels right because holiness is good and sin is bad. The thing about it is, and you've heard this, if you've listened to this show for a while, you've heard these other brothers say this kind of stuff all the time. With a, with a bunch of the sin that we kind of fall back into or backslide into or cycles of stuff that we get caught up in, the worst part about it is the guilt that we feel about it. As soon as we get out of the guilt and the shame part of it, then we can actually get some wisdom and then some strategies and then some freedom. But where the devil would like to keep us is, I'm just going to lie to you about the fact that you need to feel ashamed of this, and feeling ashamed of it would be holy. Man, that is some messed up stuff. Because when you ask this question of why would we be into the lies, once we dig into it, we realize, oh yeah, I've actually thought before that shame is somehow holy. That is a crazy cyclical lie that can keep you trapped for a long time. Here's another example, real quick, and then I want to pass this around, get these other guys uh, going on this, but the kind of lies that feel uh, indulgent and gratifying, like they feel good, like when the devil lies to you to just to get you kind of, uh, get you going on a real good grudge, you ever done that? Like, I'm just going to dig my heels down into this grudge. I've got this grudge against this person, and that just feels really good. It feels really good to hate this person and to hold on to this thing and to really, really sink my teeth into it. That feels extremely gratifying, and that feels indulgent and everything. But really what it does is it keeps you bound up. It keeps you more unhappy than just letting it go would feel than forgiving it would feel, than getting past it and moving past it and you living your life and and not giving that person any more power over you. This is another example of the devil doing a kind of lie that in some way you feel like it's the right thing. Either he lies to us in a way that makes us feel like believing the lie would be holy or believing the lie would make you happy. And in in the cases of, of both those things that we were just talking about, it's not holy and it's not making me happy. It's actually worse to stay in the shame and the guilt, and it's actually worse to stay in the grudge and the hate. I think this is a really interesting question, mainly because, you know, whatever the dramatic stuff with the demons, I think we need to think about truth and lies. Where are the lies? Lord, would you show me what lies I'm buying into? Lord, would you help me pinpoint the stuff that I think is from you that's not? Would you set me free from the things that you are not telling me, that someone else is telling me, and they're disguising it as stuff that's coming from you when it's super not coming to you from you? Let's look at the truth and the lies and try to figure out why is it that I sort of want to stay in this or sort of can't see my way out of this? It's a, it's a really fantastic place to start it off. And Jed, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because I think as we examine that idea of why this, this concepts that aren't true but are uh, interesting yeah. are, uh, you know, been infatuating, one of the 
common denominators we often find in that, which certainly sounds like we find in some of these situations with the the demonic and the exorcism and the whatnot, is drama. Oh, yeah. It's very easily defined. It's very emotional. It's very dramatic. And obviously, demons isn't the only place we find that, but it's pretty. it might be a pretty good case study for looking for the dramatic over the truth, right? Totally, totally. Well, here's the thing about drama, is certainly in my experience, is that it's it's stimulating. It's it's a certain kind of entertaining. Uh, it's very engaging, and most of the time, it's just a huge distraction. Is actually the mm. thing about drama in general. I'll give an example of what I mean. Is um, I to be clear, I'm not a demonologist. So I can't tell you exactly how demons work. Um, you know, I thought I went to a demonologist once, but it turns out it was a skin doctor. <laughs> <laughs> and I didn't uh, learn anything about demons, but my eczema cleared up. Well, that's great. So yeah. that's a win. Mm. An exorcism of a kind. Yes. So uh, not a demonologist. So I don't know. I mean, I suppose demons might mess up your life, but cowardice will definitely mess up your life. Evil spirits might mess up your life. Insecurity will definitely mess up your life. Say that. And the the demons and the evil spirits and the Dark Lord and whatnot are all super, super dramatic and spooky. And, uh, and, you know, feels like I'm in a a high budget horror movie, but dealing with my issues, whether that's cowardice or insecurity or something else, that doesn't feel dramatic at all. That just feels like an unpleasant thing I don't want to look at and I don't want to deal with. If only I had something to distract me from this unpleasant thing that I don't want to deal with and enter drama. And that's how we get in this loop is that we're looking to be distracted. I, I certainly am. I expect it may be true for the rest of us as well. I think the thing that it's easy for us to lose sight of is that most of healthy life is pretty darn chill and pretty darn mundane. Mm, yeah, That's actually how life is supposed to work. Uh, when that's not the case, we actually start to run into problems. And I think in a weird way, one of the things, particularly in modern culture, that, that kind of messes with us on this is we forget when things aren't entertainment anymore, right? So like... If you watch, you know, maybe like you have like a favorite cop show on TV or like, you know, a movie about a hard-boiled detective and it's all super dramatic, the vast majority of work in law enforcement is unbelievably boring. I mean, like there's no drama to it at all. There's no zest to it at all. It's literally people well, filing paperwork. paperwork. Exactly right. Yeah. It's it's literally paperwork, which as it turns out is essential to doing the job. It's like you're, you can't do law enforcement if you're not filing a ton of paperwork, but no one wants to see a movie that's D- Detective Bob filing paperwork for two hours. It's got to be dramatic. That's what makes it a movie, right? The same. Damn it, Johnson. Turn in your stapler. <laughs> exactly. Turn right. in the stapler in your ankle holster, too. <laughs> I, can, I can definitely speak to this phenomenon where it comes to music. Any movie or TV show that has to do with people making music or recording music, it's all drama. And it's people, this guy's stone, and this guy's storming out, and these two people are sneaking off to do things they shouldn't be doing. Dude, actually making music in a studio is the most boring thing in the world. It's incredibly (laughs) mundane. But Jed, I thought it was magical and the stars aligned. Uh, A one-act play of recording music in the studio. from Someone who's not a musician, but has been in the studio for him at this point. You guys want to try that again? Okay. (laughs) Three minutes later. You guys want to give that one one more try? Okay. Okay, great. Great. Yeah, I mean, it's really mundane. It's, it is unremarkable. You, hopefully you build up a level of skill where you can do something cool with it, but it, it, 
no one would want to watch a video of this. So the thing is, entertainment, the drama is ramped up because that's what makes it engaging. That's what makes it entertaining. Uh, it's, you know, Detective Bob is not just filing paperwork. Something happens. And now he has to chase down a perp. That's why we're watching this. That's the whole thing. But I think it's really in, in a society where we're kind of over-entertained a lot of time, I think it's easy for us to start putting the expectations we have of movies onto our own lives. We're, we're expecting them to be dramatic in ways they kind of can't be. And that actually leads to problems. If we're expecting our, if you're expecting your dating relationship to be dramatic in the way that the scripted one in the rom-com is, that's going to cause problems in your dating relationship. If you expect that your spiritual life will basically be like left behind the movie, that's going to cause significant problems for your spiritual life because normal, healthy life, most of it is pretty chill and pretty, certainly from the outside, pretty unremarkable mundane. And that's okay. Again, for most of us, most of the time in our real actual lives, the dramatic is a distraction away from the things that we really need to be focused on. Absolutely right. And Glenn, I think we have another kind of rubber meets the road situation for something we talk about a lot on the show here. So a lot on the show, we talk about um, judgment versus discernment. Right. So I think these guys have done a great job kind of breaking down why uh, our as so often happens, our question asker had pretty much the exact right take on this. Of yeah, seems like every time the Bible demons show up, Jesus just shows up, takes care of them, and if you know the Holy Spirit indwells in us, and what do we have to be all that worried about? So now I think it's important to look at the people who may have been really into this, who may have tried to fool us about this, and I think I want us to look at that because I think it's a very good case study of it's important to discern what these people were on, why they were on it, and the way that Jed's kind of talking about here, without judging that, we don't need to condemn these people, right. but we do need to discern something about that experience to move on with our own understanding of this, right? For sure. Uh, I think, you know, the Bible does describe, and I, I think it's sort of the, 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 the starting point that we ought to look at this from is that there is an internal battle happening within us that there you could call it temptation you can uh think of that as a you know a, a battleground for your uh, mental health and uh, your outlook and so forth but uh, there are forces of light and dark that battle within us and here's the thing about that is the more you push forward in on the positive side there is going to be uh, something the devil is going to try to do to try and mess you up, you know, try and ruin that forward progress and ha create a setback. Now, even if that happens, you can learn something from that. You can grow from that. You can become stronger off of that so that the next time that particular temptation or situation comes up, you're going to be stronger. You're going to overcome that. So even the attack, if you're, if you're, fighting that battle really well you can even the attack is part of the growth but the the reality is uh i think we we tend to say oh it, what i hear is here's a person who is not moving forward in their walk in any particular way and they're they're telling us they're under attack and demons are everywhere get a fly swatter and you know they're coming at me you know they're swooping and things and whatever and you say well Okay, but so so you know, in other words, if you're if you're not moving forward, there's there's very little to worry about because he's got you where he wants you. Uh, but the ones that are the most worried about it are the ones who aren't moving forward. So that's that's where the skepticism comes in for me. 
Uh, a verse that kind of, I think, helps me work this out is Colossians 2.18. And in that verse, I think it breaks down sort of all the elements of what we're talking about here. So what the verse is saying is don't let people disqualify you, or, or, or in other words, sort of look down on you or say you are not a super advanced Christian. And then he goes on to describe these people that are saying they are more advanced than you, and you are not qualified to be as advanced as they are. Here's how he describes them. People who are puffed up with idle notions of mystical things that they have seen, which is very close to what you're describing. Yeah. But here's the interesting thing he says about those people that I think we had to really get our minds around. He says, those people are unspiritual, hmm. which is kind of odd to say because they're purposely trying to be overly spiritual and overly mystical, and everything is a spiritual battle man. And Paul's in, 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 the, in this verse is saying, those people aren't spiritual. That might so I don't know. Is he saying that they're emotional? Is he saying they're being uh, confused in their minds? Are they are they going off of a, sort of an egotism thing, trying to make themselves look important to cover an insecurity thing that they're struggling with? Who knows? I mean, he's describing sort of a manipulation process as well. That someone's saying I'm more spiritual than you because I've seen all of these mystical things. Uh, and we are supposed to look at that and say, this is not a spiritual person, which is, I think we have to wrestle with that verse a bit, because it's it's saying that the nature of spirituality does not puff us up. It yeah. does not, uh, we don't, we aren't discussing our idle notions about uh, those things. Uh, and it, a, a spiritual person does not disqualify other people uh, on their spiritual journey. So I think... Uh, sort of looking at the behavior and attitude around the mystical stuff might help us understand a lot more of what's going on there. Final point, you're right, the, the enemy has no uh, real power. It's not important off of that to even be looking at or talking about what sort of powerful things he's trying to do because he has no power. But the thing is, I need to know what the strategy is. Take, for example, next time you pick up your phone and you're about to hit that news app, ask the Lord, what is it that the devil wants? What's his his plan of attack when I read this news app? Is it discouragement? Is it to get me angrier about the uh, politics that I'm not in favor of? Is it to make me think that everything is doomed because non-doomed news does not appear in this app at any point. So, you know, is that it? This just uh, in. Doom! Yeah, but if you go down that road, you, it, it, I want to know what the devil's strategy is on everything. Because as, uh, as Lee was starting us off with, he's saying, if guilt is the strategy, you're not going to be able to fight anything until you understand that's the nature of the thing. He's just trying to get you to screw up so that the guilt can happen. The, the screwing up was just a means to an end. That Once you know that, the, the way that you counteract that completely changes. And the way you counteract it is not so much of uh, throwing holy water around and saying the power of Christ compels you. 
it's 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 saying lord it's it's you going to the lord saying lord i am not going to be guilt-ridden today i am not going to be discouraged by this news app today i know what the devil's trying to do it's not going to work but i need you to give me strength and i need you to tell me what to do instead yeah i think that all is fantastic stuff you got from yes to tie it together i would, I would add what, i think one of the underlying psychologies or something about this kind of stuff and we see a lot of this uh, in the city when we work with folks who have maybe been raised in bad theology is that idea of that in order for something to be bad, it would have to be dramatic. It would have to be uh, not run of the mill. It would have to be uh, in really out of the norm when, I mean, actual biblical theology says, you, you, of course it, the devil only works in nudges because you want to do bad stuff anyway. Why, why would he overexert? Um, so again, I think that another part of, what we're looking at here is when you have the the right mindset with these guys gave you about all that stuff, you it also sharpens your focus for what you're looking for. That's a bit, a bit of what Glenn's describing there. Of you know you don't you don't need to be scared of the devil when you go down a blind alley. You may need to be uh, worried about it when you open an app or go to have a conversation with someone. And if we only think of the enemy in terms of wanting to uh, you know throw someone on the ground and make them cut themselves with stones, we we not only are looking at things he's not doing, we're not looking at things he is doing, which is certainly something we're called to be on the lookout for. All right, we're jump to our second question here. It comes in anonymously, and it says, I got passed over for a promotion I deserve again. I've been working my butt off for the last year for this, and I'm pretty upset and angry. I feel unmotivated and unappreciated at work, but also causes my confidence to waver sometimes. It's hard to remind yourself how great you are at your job when no one else will. I feel very appreciated in all other areas of my life, but work is where I spend the most time. I'm looking for other jobs, but I know that will take a while. How do I cope with the anger and feeling of failure in a healthy way? And what are some strategies to get me through the season of not being appreciated at work? And when it comes to asking basically, how do I downshift and put in less effort? I'm going to Jed first for Ooh. no particular reason. And Jed, where do we kick off on this? Message received <laughs> and warranted. <laughs> well, it, the, the key thing is we're so sorry. Uh, we're sorry yeah. for what you're dealing with. And uh, we, we love you. We believe in you. We're praying for you. Um, and it really super, super sucks to be overlooked. Um, you know, it, it, it really sucks to have people either not see or choose to not see, uh, what you bring to the table. Um, and, um, I think it may even be worse given the nature of, of a job promotion. You say, you know, you got passed over for it for them to either again, see to, to, to not see, or, or kind of choose to not see what you bring to the table and inflate what they do see in somebody else. Uh, I mean, that's just, that's, that's hard. That's just hard to live with. Um, there's not really anything that makes that okay uh, because it is a form of injustice. Um, and you have been wronged. You know, someone has done an unjust thing to you. As, as you say, I deserve the promotion. I've done the work. I'm the most qualified. I've demonstrated diligence and loyalty to the company. You know, I've, I've done the stuff and they didn't give me the thing that I deserve to have. That is a form of injustice, and and it and it it sucks, and there's not any way around that, and and we're sorry. That's the most important stuff. The thing about injustice that I think is is poorly understood is that certainly in the short term, you can't really do anything about the injustice in your own life. 
If you could, you would do the thing, and then there wouldn't be any injustice in the world. Injustice exists in the world because in the short term, we're kind of stuck with it. Otherwise, we would do whatever the thing is, and we would fix it, and we would have no injustice in our lives. Yes, in the medium to long term, you can take steps. As you say, you can look for a different job, but that may take a while. That's a, At the very least, that is a, a journey of variable length, um, and, and it won't be tomorrow. Um, there's stuff that you can do that will that will speak to this and, and in a long-term sense, you know, rectify your overall situation. But but most of that takes a, a long time to kick in. So certainly in the short term, we are stuck with there was an injustice that happened and that's super uncool and I'm super angry about it. And there's also not a lot that I can do right now today to fix it. That's a lot to live with. I mean – a lot. And for what it's worth, the idea of saying, I basically feel pretty unmotivated um, and it messes with my confidence a little bit. Um, I think that's about as good of a response as anyone could possibly ask of you. Um, I mean, given that the emotionally understandable response is burning the building down and you haven't done that, I think we're winning just from the get-go. So I think we do need to acknowledge that. And and I think it's important to, to acknowledge that you can recognize intellectually that none of this says anything about you or your potential or your ability or, or anything else. Um, and, and we should recognize that intellectually. While at the same time, um, recognizing that... Um, it kind of makes sense that my emotions would take a bit of a hit and that on an emotional level, my confidence would, would take a bit of a hit that, that, that all tracks. There's one thing that I think you can do today. And it's, it's the thing that I want to urge you to do because I think it actually will help. You can't address in the short term, the injustice in your own life. None of us really can, but you can address it in the lives of other people. You can do that. And that is how we're going to fight back. So here's the thing that I want to encourage you to do. You have been overlooked. That is the core of what's occurred here. I want to urge you to choose to see and to call out the good things in other people, to see the areas where they bring something to the table. I want to encourage you to find people who are being overlooked. Maybe that's at your work. Maybe it's in your personal life. Maybe it's in your family. It doesn't matter. Find people who are overlooked and see them communicate to them, I see what you bring to the table. I see the amazing stuff that you do that other people can't do or won't do. I see the cool stuff that makes you, you. I see you. That's, you know what, I, I'm going to say, it, it's a crazy thought, and, and if it doesn't work for you, you can write in and let us know, but I think that this would be less painful if your boss sat you down and he said, you are the best person for this job. I see that in you. You are, you are the best person. You are the right person. There are some behind-the-scenes political reasons where I need to give this to Trevor. But I am aware that you are the best person and the right person for this job. If that happened, it still wouldn't be cool, and it still wouldn't be a good situation, but I think it would be less painful because you'd at least have reality acknowledged, right? You can go acknowledge reality for other people. 
Again, maybe that's your work, maybe it's in your personal life, maybe it's in your family, but that's a huge gift that you can give other people. You can talk to your friend and say, hey, I know, you know, it may look like you're, you're going through a rough time and nobody sees what you bring to the table. I do. I see the amazing things that make you you. I want you to know I value them. I see them. I'm cheering you on. Don't give up. You know, keep trucking, keep doing what you're doing. That's an amazing gift that you can give to other people. It's an amazing way that you can fight back against the injustice that they are facing in their own lives. Harness that energy that you're feeling right now and turn it around to be a force for good for other people. A wonderful place to start this conversation off. Fantastic stuff there. And Lee, where do we take it from there? Well, first off, I love everything that that Jed's saying on this. And I think that changing the channel and pointing your efforts and your thoughts out towards encouraging someone else, there's just no end or no ceiling to to how good that can be and and the the impact that that will have on you as far as the life that it'll give you. I think that's the really unmeasurable thing is how much life you're going to find as you start to flex that muscle. The other thing that I would say on this is that there's a really cool thing that you did in phrasing this question to us, which is that you said, I'm good at my job. I'm getting better at this. That is a really, really cool thing. I don't know if you know how cool it is. What that is, is is a glimmer of hope in a situation where you could be otherwise utterly discouraged. Because as Jed is saying, an injustice has happened towards you. Um, A very natural and very understandable emotion would be to be utterly discouraged and to feel like, well, I guess I suck. Um, But you have this glimmer of hope, which is, I'm good at my job and I'm getting better at it. This is a really, really cool and important thing. And I would encourage you to lean into that. If I don't know if this would be your vibe or if it would work or if it would help, but if it would in any way or, or whatever way that would suit you, suit your personality and your rhythm, I would encourage you to curate specifically the places where you're growing, the places where you're doing really well. So for instance, If you, like, even though you got passed over and even though you deserve a promotion, if you do something well at work, if you, something comes easily to you, you get a a victory where it comes, you know, where it's difficult or confusing to someone else, you need to curate that experience. You need to record that, write that down, have some place that you keep that on a permanent record of a place that you're growing, a place that you're good, a place that that you do something well that other people can't do very well. Any place that you can recognize when you look back over from the time that you got this job to now, where you have grown, where you've gotten you've acquired some skills, you've acquired some knowledge, keep a record of that stuff. A couple of things will happen if you do that. However, that would fit your kind of vibe or style. Maybe for you that would be like a spreadsheet or a journal or just a little voice memo on your phone. Who knows? Whatever. Any kind of positive thing that you see in yourself in the realm of your field where you are growing and making positive changes, um, record that in some way. A couple of positive things that will come from that. One, even though, like right now we have a huge goal, which is the next step up at this job. Well, Sometimes when we have a huge goal, we can miss the accomplishment of small goals underneath that. And what I want to do is I want to shine the light on the small goals underneath that. So if you keep a record of the places where you're growing and you're getting better and you're making strides, 
If you keep a record of that, then you start to have some specific ways that you can celebrate victories and wins. This is a thing that we talk about. It's it's a drum that we beat a lot on this show, which is uh, when you can celebrate small victories, when you can recognize the W's in your life, the wins that you have on a daily basis, you're going to start to have a just a more positive outlook about who you are and what you're doing. Um, so that if you start to curate that that list of the things, the places where you're growing and the places, the things that you bring to the table at this job or in your field, you're going to have some specific, uh, some specific wins to celebrate. The second thing is that when you do get, let's say you get a, a, an interview at a different company or, an, or you know, a, a different job somewhere else, they're going to ask you in an interview about your strengths. This is going to happen. I promise you, in any job interview, they're going to ask you the uncomfortable question of what are your strengths? <laughs> and if you aren't prepared for that question, that's a really, it's, it's just a really weird question to answer. It feels strange to answer it. It feels strange to, to try to point out the things that you're good at or whatever. But if you've curated a list of the places that you've grown and things that you've gotten really good at or things that you figured out that other people struggled with then you've got some specific ways to answer those questions. And I promise you it will be in your next job interview. So if if you start to lean into the places where you are doing really well and where you are growing and making strides, then we start to celebrate actual wins and you are prepared for your next job interview where I promise you they will ask you what your strengths are. Um, the next thing I would say, and just real quick, just as kind of put a button on on my thoughts on this, is that obviously the the folks above you um, are not recognizing something in you. Maybe you're in the situation that Jed described where somebody says, hey, I see you, you're the right person for the job, we had to give it to Trevor for whatever, whatever. But if that's not happening, then then what you're, you're in a situation where the people above you are not seeing the value that you bring to this team. If there is anybody that does see what you bring, lean into those people. People that are for you, people that have got your back, people that recognize what you've got going on, lean into those people. Those are the folks that you want to invest in. You want a team that believes in you. Um, as a person that's that's been around and has supported uh, the ministry that the rest of the other three guys on this podcast are a part of for a lot of years at this point, one of, I can tell you with confidence, without hesitation, one of my favorite things about this ministry, and it's a culture that, 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 that Glenn has cultivated, is that these guys have each other's back at a level that is so unbelievably strong. And the cool thing about this is, is that they've learned we have to have each other's backs because nobody else will have our back. And so when you find somebody that actually does see what you bring, the value that you add to a to a field or to a company or to a team or whatever, that's the person that you lean into. Um, start to curate your strengths. You're going to need those in your next job interview, and they're going to give you a reason to celebrate victories. And when you find people that value what, what you bring to the table, those are your friends. Those are your tribe. Those are the people that you lean into. That's all very, very good stuff. Glenn, where do we close this out? Well, I I love the stuff these other fellows are saying. So, you know, I I really just want to build on the, the amazing stuff they're laying down here. Here's the thing is I've had, 
you know, maybe not the exact same situation you've had before, but I've had work problems and work failures and, you know, lack of people seeing what I brought to the table in work environments. And I've shared that frustration and pain and the way that that made me feel about myself to other Christians. And what other Christians told me at that time is, hey, man, you can't get your self-worth from your job, man. Mm. <laughs> and the very thought that ran through the, my mind is, hey, Zen Master, um, if this happened to you, would you be singing the same song? Nope. Or or does this just work when you're putting it on me? Because it sounds like the kind of thing you could easily lay down, but you wouldn't pick it up if it was you. And I think that's true. I think almost all of us take almost all of our self-worth from the stuff we work really hard to accomplish. Yep. That only kind of makes sense. It'd be great if we were all just walking around in a fog of enlightenment where we just had a God consciousness and we knew exactly what God thought of us in every possible dimension. And we were just only seeing ourselves as this being of pure spiritual light. That would be great. That's not the world we're living in. We're struggling in the uh, the everyday, the mundane, the workplace filled with Trevor, who yep. is getting promotions he doesn't deserve, and he's just got that face, and you just like that Ugh. punchable, punchable <laughs> face. face, you know. <laughs> uh, so this is this is life. Let's let's give ourselves permission uh, to to own these feelings. We we may know intellectually this is not how it should be, but let's give ourselves a break on the fact that this is actually how everybody thinks and feels about it. Here's where we're going to start then. Nobody can begin to know your self-worth unless they've asked God about you. Mm. They can't okay. begin to know your self-worth unless they've asked God about you. And here's the thing, that's very unlikely to happen at work, okay? <laughs> Depending on where you work, that's that's pretty pretty seriously unlikely. I think there's very little of that in, in the church, in fact, and I think that's an unfortunate thing. But uh, the truth is, most people uh, go on their own feelings about the other people around them, even, again, in Christian wow. circles. I was uh, recently talking, I, 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 for obvious reasons, I have to strip out some details here, I was recently talking to a, a, a church pastor who had a horrible experience uh, with a church and sort of a denomination by extension. He was really mistreated. It really hurt him. He was really struggling, and we're sitting and talking, and I said, well, look, I don't know why they were saying this or doing this or being this way, but I can tell you, here's what I see with, uh, that you bring to the table. And I listed out mm. three or four different things, exactly like these other fellows were talking about. Here's what happened. His mouth fell open and he said to me, that's the first time I've heard any of that from anyone. Mm. Wow. Now, He's heard other positive things, maybe, or sort of vaguely positive things or whatever. I'm not trying to say these other people were purely negative or something like that. But I am telling you this. If you prayed and said, God, show me what this person is bringing to the table, you would get all of these things I told him in the first 30 seconds of that conversation. <laughs> 
I mean, I'm talking about the the bare surface of who this person is. That those would be the first things you'd get. What I'm realizing is he's told me this is the first time I've heard this is that no one in this entire system mm. has even once bothered to say, God, who is this guy? Mm-hmm. They they look and see stuff they're projecting onto him, and they're deciding that's what it is. Uh, it's unfortunate for him, but we have to understand that's the only way people are going to see our real self-worth. Here's another thing that's really amazing. Think about a really close friend that you have, that you know, and you've talked to them a lot, you've gotten to know them. I'll bet you know stuff about them that and see stuff in them that they don't see in themselves. It's a really powerful thing, isn't it? It's, a, it's an amazing thing that someone else can see something about you that you don't see, even though you're inhabiting your own life. That's that when you feel the power of that, when you feel that friendship and that person reflecting those things back to you, you that's a high, that's a tremendous, that's a powerful thing. And you say, why can't everything be like that? Well, it's because those the, these other people are just not focused and they're not paying attention. They don't see your light and your amazingness and, and your luminous uh, beauty and everything that's going on inside of you. Mm. Uh, here, so all of this will make us feel poorly towards ourselves. Here's what I'm. Here, here's the thing: achievements give us a sense that we are authorized and certified to feel good about ourselves. An achievement, it, maybe it's just a milestone or whatever, but you get the diploma and you say, I have accomplished something, now I can feel good about myself. Yeah. Here's the thing. I don't like any of that. I think 100% of that's a bad idea. Here, it, 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 we say, I'm going to drive myself through the unpleasantness, and I'm going to be unpleasant all the way through to this achievement, that when I achieve it, then I will feel good about myself because I have earned it. Mm-hmm. I have... I have earned the right to be happy because I have done this. You say, well, okay, what about just being happy today anyway? Okay. You could do that. You can just be happy. Nobody's stopping. The, The lie that we tell ourselves is this. If I was happy, I wouldn't accomplish anything. Yeah. I have to be driven by this need to achieve through negativity, the power of negativity is going to drive me to achieve this great thing, and then I'll reward myself with happiness. Here's I want to actually turn that completely backwards and ask you how this sounds bouncing off the walls. I'm going to say the opposite thing about your situation. Your happiness is a force for good in your life. Okay. Your happiness will drive achievement and accomplishment. Your, your happiness will allow you to do the stuff that these guys were talking about, of lifting other people up and seeing amazing things in them. Your happiness will allow you to get to that place of achievement or whatever else. But when you get that achievement, you're, you are already happy in the first place. It doesn't unlock happiness. It doesn't give you permission to, to be happy. We are giving you permission to be happy right now as you are who you are. That's what God wants, and that's what we want too. 
That's all fantastic stuff from all of these guys. We're going to move on to our final question here. It comes in anonymously and it says, I'm thinking about corresponding with inmates, mostly as a way for them to vent. And if there's trust, they might ask about my faith. I prefer writing and enjoy it, but it also fits my current life and schedule easier too. Are there programs for this? The thing that's holding me back is that I worry that once I make friends, it might get complicated. Midnight phone calls, needing a ride, etc. I want to keep my family separate from all that, but it doesn't seem to make sense to be anonymous either recommendations and obviously we'll we'll come at this from from quite a number of angles i think there's some stuff in this about about uh ministry in general about strategy on that that really uh goes quite well but glenn as our uh prison ministry expert uh yeah. uh prison ministry in a lot of ways is a just a more intense form of good ministry principles so yeah there's a lot of stuff that would work about this or work in a lot of other ways and what tips might you have well yeah a uh, prison ministry is is uh in, in many ways, it's very much like missions where you're starting from scratch. Uh, it's It has some advantages, actually, from the standpoint of there's sort of a fixed time frame when you can be in the building and uh, be in front of the inmates. Uh, so in, in many ways, you're able to do it in a more structured way than you can in just about any other environment. Uh, but the truth is, even with that, like all effective ministry... It's going to be messy. It's going to be complicated. Mm. It's going to be uh, 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 strikes and gutters. It's going to be ups and downs. I was talking uh, recently uh, with some of our ladies, and our ladies do amazing ministry inside residential drug rehabs. It's a similar environment. People who've gone through uh, the court system, and they may be uh, mandated to this uh, facility, uh, and they're serving out their time in that rehab. And... uh, uh, one of these ladies, bless her, just had herself a little meltdown and was was being ugly towards other people in the room and just just you know she just and she's taking out her frustrations with herself on other people uh, because our ladies are amazing. They were able to talk her down and she was able to to come to that and uh, and and you know to be able to apologize and come back around. But it, it's one of those things that it really threw everybody in the room. But here's the thing about the messiness of all of that: is it it creates an opportunity for you to show who you are and what your character is. If, if you're acting ugly and I am loving and caring towards you. In that moment, I'm sh- I, I, have, I can show you love in a way that I couldn't show you if you were acting wonderfully. So the mm. bad stuff creates opportunities for ministry just as much as all the good stuff. So we, we're not avoiding complications or messiness or whatever. We're not trying to make this look polished. That's a, that's a wrong attitude to go about things. You're going to figure this out as you go. Uh, to the only way for it to be less messy, less inefficient, less you know all over them. The only way to stay out of unnecessary uh, entanglements and all these kind of things is mentors. That's how that's how we do that. That's how you should do that. There, when when lay people get into ministry, they consult mostly themselves, which is very weird. When professionals want to do something, <laughs> they call up people who know that stuff and know it well. And they go by what they hear, you know. And but it's a different kind of mentoring, maybe than what you're thinking. Uh, the the kind of uh, mentoring that we get from other people on things we want to do is really um, conceptual. Just here is the guiding principle that whenever you face a situation, 
you'll be able to think about it in this way and that will have you on the right track whenever you're trying to handle those things. So looking for people who can give you that kind of uh, mentoring is important. Uh, you know, smart boundaries make sense. We, you know, we don't we don't take crazy chances in the stuff that we do. We 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 put smart boundaries and limits on what we do. Uh, but the the reality is, um, we it's smart to put those smart boundaries in place. But it's also uh, wise and and smart and correct to believe that God will will protect you through that process, and that you can trust God to uh, give you favor with people and that, that people will be able to uh, behave properly. We, I've been doing this work for many, many years. I don't have a scratch on me. I've never had a, somebody steal stuff. I've never had any kind of a nightmare scenario off of that. Uh, it, there's a right way to do that, to eliminate that, but there's also God's protection on it. That's a very important place to start that off. Lee, love to get you here. Um, I think one of the, the if we pull the camera back a little bit here, uh, there's good and uh, totally logical reasons to not do anything that we think might be a good idea, and a lot of really cool ideas and kind of possibly life changing things die in that. But it's like, wow, well, but it might be so. Forget it. How do we keep? If it's, obviously, we want to do that with prayer. We want to make sure this is the right thing we're leading on. But if we're if we're going to head down this road and a good of a good idea, how do we see obstacles as something we overcome and we solve as opposed to just bailing? Oh man, that's that's such a great way to frame it, man. I I think that that one of the things that typically happens with people who get into ministry, especially a ministry that's new to them, um, is that in the the time when the Lord sows that seed in your heart or gives you the idea or you hear somebody speak and so you now you feel fired up about doing something, it feels like this amazing thing. Like this, like you have this idea and it's like, this is the most amazing thing that's ever happened in the world. And then when you start to engage, then you meet obstacles. And the thing that can typically happen is there's a degree of frustration that happens where it's like, I don't know any longer if this is what the Lord is calling me to. Um, and so it's exactly the way you said it, Matt, where where it feels like, well, it feels like the right thing to do is to bail. Well, typically, you know, the Lord will call you to something, and that doesn't mean there are not going to be obstacles. You ask these brothers uh, who try to put, who have been putting on a service for, how many years is it now every Tuesday? 16. Glenn? So 16 years, and and... Every conceivable obstacle and completely inconceivable obstacles, yes, have been met. Yes. I mean, I mean, there's <laughs> Matt sent me a picture one time of horizontal snow, yep. which is not a thing that you would think is a is is a real thing in any you know in, in, in you know in this reality. But you know the idea that God's going to call me to something, I'm going to be super excited about. It's going to be amazing. And then obstacles are going to happen. Here's the 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 really interest the you know the really difficult part is in that moment digging in and saying this doesn't mean God isn't calling me to this. It means I'm meeting an obstacle. It means I've got some problem solving to do. If I meet an obstacle, it doesn't mean that God isn't calling me to it anymore. It means that I need to go back to him and say Okay, what do I need to do to get through this piece of this? Um, a lot of times, and, and this is the the same thing that we were talking about a few minutes ago with kind of goals, 
where we have like the big end goal. Like I want to be used in the criminal justice system. That's a huge thing. It's powerful. It's exciting. It's, you know, it's emotional. It's, it's all of the things. And the Lord may be calling you to that. And then within that, there are a thousand tiny steps. <laughs> there are, which the, these, the guys on this podcast can tell you, and I can tell you, and so can my wife and a lot of my friends, anybody that wants to get involved with prison ministry, you have to go to the dumbest meetings that you've ever been to just to get certified to be a volunteer in that place. There are so many weird roadblocks that you would never even think of. And these are not obstacles where the Lord is calling you away from it. These are obstacles where you break this down into smaller goals. Part of the thing is, how are we going to get through this part of it? How am I going to face this obstacle? How am I going to find a creative solution to get over this little difficulty? Um, when Whenever you go into any ministry environment, and it's not just um, getting involved with with inmates, but any ministry environment, let's just widen the lens, there will be complications, there will be weird scenarios, there will be things that came out of nowhere that you could not have anticipated. And that doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord is calling you away from that thing. It could be that he's pushing you through the narrows and seeing how are you going to respond to difficulties? How are you going to go back to him in dependence? And, and not independent, but in a state of dependence upon him to give you the creative solution, to give you, um, you know, a another focused moment of teamwork where you gather your team and you say, now, how do we face this, guys? How do we go through this moment? This is an opportunity. Uh, difficulties and obstacles are opportunities to go back to the Lord in a state of dependence, to, to seek creative solutions, and to, and to go through those narrows and to get back into what is, to break a thing down into smaller goals and, and to find your way through it one step at a time. It doesn't necessarily mean that the Lord isn't in it if you find uh, difficulties. In fact, it's almost always the, always the situation that you will find obstacles, you will find difficulties, and the Lord wants to see how you push through those to get to where he wants to take you. Some really, really good stuff. And Jed, let me just close this out by looking at the idea of boundaries. Sure. Um, Lee mentioned the, uh, the pretty... Uh, nonsense training you normally have to sit through this business ministry uh one of the very few uh useful tidbits on there is they do stress you got to keep boundaries with the people you work with yeah um we talk about boundaries a lot on the show in uh, interpersonal relationships was very true in ministry as well right absolutely absolutely here's the thing that i think will hold you in good stead particularly with what you're describing here but i think it, it is true of Certainly, I think it's true of almost all ministry, but it's definitely true of dealing with folks who are experiencing homelessness, folks coming out of addiction, folks coming out of incarceration, is you need to be prepared to tell people no. Yep. Um, you will have people ask you for things to which you will need to say no. That's and in really that moment, good, yeah. you need to say no. And so there, right. there's kind of two comments to that. The first is deciding in advance, I'm going to say no. And the second is not being afraid of that. Not hoping that that doesn't come up, but just, no, almost certainly, given enough time, someone's going to ask me for something inappropriate, and I'm going to say no to them. And I think, you know, if you've existed for a long time in a church environment, there's very little of that that goes on. There's kind of a social contract that hopefully nobody would ever really ask you for anything that weird. And mm. given that, you'll never really have to say no, because, you know, they they would be like, hey, the building fund is... It's like, we want to put in a new parking lot and gosh, 
we, you know, things, and you would say, well, we'll, we'll certainly... Good pr- luck with things. Good luck with things. We'll certainly be praying for you with the things, right? And, and so this is this subtle dance so that no one ever directly asks for anything and that we don't actually have to say no. Whereas in the kind of stuff that you're looking to get into, people are going to say, may I have some money now? That is going to happen. And you need to be pre- prepared to say, I am not going to give you money. The answer to that is no. And that may feel super uncomfortable if you've never done it before, but it's just part of the terrain. The key thing is recognizing that doesn't need to be a big deal at all. Um, You know, hey, uh, could you, I need $20 for a thing. I'm not going to do that. Actually, I don't give out money. But dude, how's your week been otherwise? How's it, how's it going? And and what can I, what are you dealing with? And what can I be praying for you? It's, it honestly really is as simple as that. If you want to take it to the, to the next level, I think you can decide, I'm going to figure out holistic solutions for the stuff that I keep hearing coming up. You know, I need $20 because I need to get a bus pass because I need to get to work and it's a whole thing. So you can decide, I'm going to look into, are there programs in my area to provide uh, uh, public transit access at a reduced cost for, for folks? And I can help navigate that and help them figure that out. That's great. That's fantastic. Perfect. You should do that. But that's not a substitute for the fact that they will ask for something. You will need to say no, and we will all move on. These these are boundaries. I, I think... The key thing for for you to know is that even if you've never done it before, you can set boundaries, you can express boundaries, you can enforce boundaries. That won't hurt them and it won't kill you. To take it back to what Glenn said, you do need a mentor because a mentor will help you know what things matter to have boundaries on. Um, you don't need to be, um, there's a phrase I can't use on this. Uh, Good catch. Uh, yeah. You don't need to be hard about everything. Um, so it's not about saying just no matter what the request is, the answer is always no. You don't need to be that way. But there are certain things you do need to be hard about. And a good mentor can help you understand in your specific situation what are the things about which to be fairly inflexible. Yeah, and to your earlier point, they can help you smooth that over. Sure. Which counts for a lot. It absolutely does. It absolutely does. But again, I think this is really, really the important part is – if you're hoping that you won't have to say no to anybody about anything, you're going to be nervous the whole time because yeah. you're going to be anxious waiting for an uncomfortable topic to come up. That's a bad idea. If you recognize you will definitely have to shoot people down, people will make requests to which you need to say no, and you will say no. You can have so much more peace. I say no to people pretty much every week at the bridge. I almost always have somebody ask me for something that the answer has to be no. And it's, it, it, it seriously is the easiest thing in the world to say, Hey man, we don't do that here, but uh, let's talk about other solutions to your problem. And let's, let's figure that out. You can do that. It will feel super awkward. The first few times that you do it, push through that. It will get less awkward with practice. Uh, you can do it. We believe in you. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Uh, to build on what Jed's saying there, one of the things you asked in your question is, are there programs for that? And the answer is probably, yeah, uh, don't exactly know where you live, but if there is a, there's probably wherever you live in the world, there's probably some prison ministry going on. That might be an uh, uh, individual kind of parachurch organization. That might be a church, does chapel service. If you go to those people and say, hey, I don't have the, the room I scheduled to go in or do whatever, do, would you like me to write encouraging letters to the people you work with? They're going to say yes to that. Like, that's that's a great idea. We know a lot of uh, prison ministry around here who do that very thing. Um, and having a program is a, a good way to channel this stuff. And B it's a fantastic way as to something Glenn alluded to earlier to 
kick that can down the road. You're writing a letter and a guy is back and getting a report and he says, Hey man, I'm going to be getting out. Why don't you give me your phone number? You can just say, actually, they don't let us do that. Right. There's a whole bunch of rules about like, I don't, and I don't want to get you in trouble and I don't want to get in trouble. So I can't, you know, talk to these other brothers. So it's just, and that, that's the easiest way of saying no is really, it's something we, we all do at the bridge and we take Jed's lead on is you don't say, somebody says, can I have $10? You don't say, I don't want to give you $10. Say, we don't do that. Yeah. That's yeah. not saying I hate you. That's, and it doesn't preclude anything. I'd say, I don't, I don't do that. What do you need the money for? Uh, oh, uh, oh, we have food. Oh, I, I really want the $10. Well, we don't give away money. We have food. If you want food. And that's, that's a different conversation other than do this. I'm not doing that. It's, and having that, uh, be at the facility itself or the program you work with, it's always easier to get started on something that already exists, first of all. And it's so much easier to draw these boundaries when you have uh, a framework. And as Glenn pointed out, uh, and I think it's worth pointing out, when we talk about mentor on the show, sometimes we do mean someone you sit under, you learn everything from. Sometimes that's real piecemeal, like we've been talking about. You know, that's the person who's in charge of this program. He teaches you how to do this thing here. And that will be one to say, hey, they asked me for my phone number. I don't want to give it out. What do I do? They say, oh, we just here's what we tell them. And I've had run into that before. And it just takes... Uh, a whole lot of the pressure off which frees you up to do the fun part, which should be the goal of any ministry when they have volunteers around. All right. If you have a question for us at podcast, gmail.com, the bridge, Chicago.tumblr.com. Take the song this week. Uh, we have a friend in Nashville named Eric Peters, who is kickstarting a record that features some hymns he recorded for our bridge podcast a few years back. Uh, it is called earth has no sorrow, which is a line from come ye disconsolate. One of the songs he recorded for us. Take that. And we will put a link to the Kickstarter in the episode description. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. Coffee Shop Jed has plans to release his own brand of coffee that's been passed through the digestive tract of an endangered condor. (laughs) Come ye disconsolate Wherever you languish Come to the mercy seat